Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Pleasant Street Church this morning. Uh, for those who don't me, know me, my name is Joel Vandewerken. I'm the pastor at Fairlawn Church here across town. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm going to start by wishing you a belated Happy New Year. I hope that your new year is off to a good start and you are experiencing something of God's blessings already as we come out of this holiday season, out of this Christmas season, and into a time we often call ordinary time, the time of serving the Lord just in the ordinary every day of life. Um, I'm really glad to be here this morning. I'm appreciating, I've appreciated our partnership in the gospel, both as churches and for those of you that I've gotten to know over the years as individuals, as we serve Christ together here in Whitensville, and I'm glad to be here today as kind of a visible expression of the unity of God's church, the unity of the Christian Reformed churches here in town. There's just one announcement that I wanted to make this morning, and it actually has to do with our partnership. Uh, the January series, as many of you know, Calvin University hosts each year a lecture series on all the weekdays uh, for a three-week period in January, and that starts tomorrow at... and. Um, as your, I saw your email this week, your Grand Rapids is a little bit far to drive for a lecture series, but thankfully Fairlawn is not that far to drive. And so 12.30 tomorrow and every weekday during January, you're welcome to come over to Fairlawn. We have live stream videos of all of the, the lectures that they're having at Calvin, and there's usually some good conversation and fellowship that happens around that as well. So please feel free to join us at Fairlawn weekdays at 12.30 for the next couple of weeks. And now as we come today, let's worship the Lord together. Would you rise in body or spirit and join me in the call to worship? The Lord be with you. And also with you. This is the day you have made, Lord. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it. Remind us of the privileges we enjoy as your people. Open our eyes to see you, Lord. Open our ears to you, Lord. Visit us through your Holy Spirit.
is mighty to save. Yeah. And next to his mightiness and power and glory, sometimes we feel so insignificant. We've done so much this past week for which we need to ask for forgiveness. Would you please join me in a prayer of confession? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. 
Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Please continue in silent confession. From the Heidelberg Catechism, we learn genuine repentance is the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and the love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. This is the good news. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. We are made new in the image of Christ. Through Christ's blood, we are forgiven. I now like to invite our deacons to come up for our offerings. So we'll receive our first offering for the ministries of Pleasant Street, and the second offering is for the World Renewed Disaster Relief Services. So let, let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Um, Father, we pray from the words of Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Father, whether it's with our time, talents, or money, Lord, use this offering to further your kingdom. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.
hear good news, that God makes peace and forgives sin. And we get to pass that peace to each other. As we pass the peace, whether it's in a handshake or a wave, it's more than just a greeting. It's a real way for us to share Christ's peace. Familiar friends and new faces, the peace of Christ is with you. Let's pass that peace to one another. Would all the kids ages four through second grade come to be dismissed for Kid Street? People of God, what is our prayer? to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. Uh, my name is Brett Buma. It's my privilege to bring our prayers to the Lord this morning. You pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, it is a joy and a blessing to be in your house this morning. We thank you for calling us here and for adopting us into your family. Fill each one of us with your spirit. Lord, as we begin a new year, we trust that you will continue to be faithful to your people. We do not know what this year will bring, but we are comforted knowing that you are in control. We measure time with a calendar and mark days, weeks, months, and years, but you, O oh God, are, are eternal. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout the generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Help us to put our full faith and trust in Jesus who gave his life for us. Heavenly Father, we offer our prayers together now, uniting our voices with Christ who perfects our prayers. Lord, we ask a, a blessing on our church. We pray that you will bless the work of path. Pastor Matthew, our staff, volunteers, members, as they seek to bring forth your kingdom in this part of the world. We pray that you will bless the new council as they will meet later this week. Equip all of us with what we need to serve. We know that your power is made perfect in our weakness. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask a blessing for those in our church who have health issues. We thank you that Bill V had successful spine surgery and we pray that he will have a full recovery. We pray for Carol L., who had a heart attack earlier this week and needed uh, some stents and is still in the hospital. We pray that you will strengthen Carol through these physical struggles and be with her family that cares for her. And we pray that you will give strength of body and spirit to Hank E., Karen S., Cindy H., as they receive treatments for cancer. We also pray for the doctors and nurses as they administer uh, treatment and care. Lord, we ask that you will be with Mark P., who was um, entered the hospital this week with COVID, and we pray that you will be with him and grant him a full recovery. Lord, we thank you for the life of Henny K., as she has gone to be with her Savior this past week. We pray that you will grant peace to Oscar, Larry, Thalia, and Brian. And we thank you that Thalia and Brian were able to spend time with their mom in these past few days. Lord, we pray that you will give comfort and peace to all of those in our family, church family, who have continued to mourn the recent passing of loved ones. Lord, you are our only comfort in life and in death. Father, be with those who would so much love to be here worshiping with us but cannot due to health issues or advanced age. We pray that you will give them a blessing and bless for those who care for them. And this morning we think um, of Theona T. and ask that you will Give a blessing on her um, as she is un unable to worship with us here. We pray for all of those who are struggling with illnesses, be they physical or mental, and be with those who struggle with pain or depression or anxiety or loneliness. Lord, strengthen them 
and grant them the peace that passes all understanding. Spirit, we ask that you will be upon Pastor Joel as he brings your word to us this morning. We may, may we have the ears and hearts to receive it. Father, in this new year, fix, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us desire to become more like you and to worship you in all that we do. Help us to live lives that serve others, being salt and light in the world. Gracious God, accept these prayers offered in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, as I said at the beginning of the service, it's good to be here today. It's good to share this unity in the body of Christ. I think a pulpit exchange is a good way to, to do that. It's also, I think, a good exercise both for a pastor and for a church, I think, to see something of the diversity of the church as well and to see, uh, for me to see a, a different congregation than I see every week with a little different uh, personality as a congregation. Uh, I think for a uh, church also to be able to hear a different pastor once in a while is, is a good thing. And so I hope that uh, this is a blessing to you as it has been a blessing to me already to be here with you this morning. Before we begin our message, I just want to take a moment to pray for God's blessing on His Word today. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for the promise that Your Word does not return to You empty, but accomplishes the purposes for which You sent it. And so I ask, God, that You would bless the words that I speak today, that they would be faithful and true, and You would bless all of our hearts, that they would be open to receiving what it is that You want us to hear, your spirit, that Your Spirit would be active and would mold and shape us more and more into the people that You want us to be, the people of Jesus. And we pray these things in His name. Amen. Well, friends, as I was thinking about this message this morning, I was conscious of the fact that it's the second Sunday of the new year, but it's still quite near, near to the start of the year, and it's a time in the, at the, in the calendar when many of us begin to make promises to ourselves about how we're going to live differently, how we're going to be new in the coming months. We promise that this is the year that we're going to, maybe it's lose weight or find a new job. Maybe this is the year that we're going to give up smoking or some other bad habit. This is the year that we're going to care better for our husband or for our wife, or we're going to invest more in our kids and our family, or whatever change it is. We're going to change. We're going to be new in some way. But then you get, oh, let's say about eight days into the year. Some of you are already there. And you realize that change is a lot harder than you'd like it to be. That despite all of your good intentions, despite all of your efforts, despite all of the things that you wrote down about how this is going to be the year that you change, you discover that this year is much too much like all the other years. Old and destructive habits return, and before long, we get discouraged and begin to think that change is not for us. And if that's where you are this morning, I just want to say that that is understandable because change is hard. We talked earlier, we sang earlier about how Satan buffets and trials come, and I think all of us recognize that we have that in some way or another in our lives. It's not easy to give up the challenges in our life. It's not easy to see ourselves changing from the inside when we've got habits and, and patterns and sins that we've built up over the years. A few years back, I read a Christian counselor who talked about two of the dominating stories in the Bible, and he said, two of the dominating stories in the Bible are that we are sinners and we are sufferers. 
we're people who do stuff wrong. And we're people who have to react to the wrong that's done to us. And he said that these two stories come up over and over again in the way that we see ourselves and in the way that we see the world. Where there's someone who's been wronged or we are someone who has been so wrong that they just can't climb out of that hole and it's despair, and we almost despair of the idea that we ever could change. But the Bible also tells us one more thing. It doesn't just call us sinners and sufferers, but it also calls us saints. And it's that transformation that I want to talk about this morning. We are not only people who do wrong, we are not only people who are wronged, but we are people who are made new again by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of Christ. We are image bearers of the one true God. We are those through whom blessing comes to the nations of the earth. We are a royal nation. We are a holy priesthood. We are a people belonging to God. All of these beautiful images that the Bible draws out of who we are in Christ. In other words, we hear in the Scriptures that what is broken can be restored. What has been destroyed can be rebuilt. What is wrong can be renewed. The fallen creation can be restored. And this is possible, the Gospel tells us, Because in Jesus and for his sake, God has given his people, he's given us, you and me, a whole new self. Now, of course, if we're going to understand the new self, we first of all have to understand what it is that God is changing about us. What is this old self that we are taking off? A few minutes ago, we read from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's in your bulletins this morning, too, what the dying of the way of the old self is. It's a a being sorry for sin. It's hating our sin. It's running away from it. And our text this morning shows a kind of progression for us to follow in verses 18 and 19 as we do that, as we expose what's wrong with us and we look for the redeeming work of Christ to take root in us. Though it's actually the third term in the list, Paul names the root cause as a hardness of heart in verse 18 or a loss of sensitivity. It's translated different ways in in different texts too. Change is hard because the human heart naturally has a kind of callousness to it. There are things the heart doesn't want to hear about, hear about itself and will block out until we're kind of numb to them. As I was thinking about this message this morning, I thought back to the years before I went to seminary. I used to work in a plumbing supply store. We sold toilets and pipes and faucets and sinks and that kind of thing. And I worked in the inventory, and so one day I was out in the warehouse when one of our drivers came back, and he was having a bad day. He was having a bad day because he had gotten a ticket. He was overweight. uh, Not he wasn't overweight. His truck was overweight. And he had gone down a a road where it was posted. And and so I was trying to be sympathetic to him, and I said to him, oh, it must not have been posted very well. And he said, well, actually, it was posted pretty well. He said, in fact, it's the road that's been in the newspaper because it went through a, a wetlands and there was a lot of question about whether or not they should even build it. So, it was, yeah, it was that road. And I said, again, trying to be sympathetic, I, I said to him, well, I, I guess maybe you didn't realize it. I guess you probably didn't realize that you were that close to the weight limit. He goes, no, it's a pretty low weight limit. I, I, I really knew. <laughs> okay. And I said, I'm trying to make one more effort to be sympathetic, and I said to him, so, you know, I guess maybe it was just a long ways around to to get there, and so it was probably, you just were making the the best call. He goes, nah, I probably wouldn't have taken that much more, maybe three, four minutes out of my way. You're not giving me much to go on here, bud. But I thought about that exchange, and I thought how true it is of all of our hearts, and it's easy, of course, to see when it's in someone else. It's much harder when... I'm the one making those excuses. There's certain things about myself, there's certain things about all of us that we just don't want to see. A hardness or a callousness of heart, a loss of sensitivity. But this leads next to a darkening of understanding and an ignorance about what it means to lead the life of God. You know, in that moment, if I'm that driver, I've told myself that I have no idea how I could have possibly made this this path better, that this is just unjust and unfair that someone would actually come to me and tell me that this is the wrong way to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it differently. And I ignore the possibility that I might have anything to do with it, that there might be a change necessary in me. Ignorance and insensitivity lead eventually to to sensuality. Verse 19 which means a loss of self-control. 
Now, not only do I not have any idea what God's plans for my life might be, I only follow my desires, the things that crop up in my mind. You know what? That's the direction I want to go. I guess that's probably what I'll do. I don't really have to evaluate or think about it. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Not surprisingly, a lack of self-control leads to impurity. Not just sexual impurity, but every kind of sin. Impurity in my speech, impurity in my motives, impurity in my actions towards people around me, getting only what I want. And then that result is a trap, which leads us longing for more, a greed, the text puts it. Sometimes it's translated a continual lust. More money, more power, more approval from others, more pleasure. Whatever it is that I think is going to fill me, that's what I'm going to chase. That's what I'm going to pursue. And I get stuck in these habits where over and over again, I'm going back to that well thinking that it's going to fill me, that that's going to satisfy my thirst. And the Bible tells us that this is the human condition apart from Christ. But if you're like me, that's not really something that you want to hear. Paul tells us that this is how the Gentiles live, and of course, that feels kind of satisfying to me because I'm like, oh, that's those people over there. I don't have to worry about that. That's great. That's the kind of thing, then, in my mind that could never hit close to home. That's the kind of thinking that maybe affects the sorts of people who attack unsuspecting neighboring countries. Or maybe it's the kind of thinking that infects the minds of child abusers and bigots and so on, but not me, not my neighbors. I'm in that no longer camp, right? That's what Paul started out by saying in verse 17. That's not me. I don't have to worry about this stuff. But see, Paul wouldn't have put it in his text to the Ephesians. He wouldn't, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have dropped it into the Scriptures if we weren't meant to hear it too. As a reminder, if nothing else, of how easy it is to fall into these traps, into this way of thinking. And too often, if you're like me, you live like a Gentile or you think like a Gentile. And all the intentions for all the changes that we're going to make in our lives fall flat. The Spirit keeps pressing us, what sort of person are you? Do you really know? And maybe a good way to answer that question is to start at the end of verse 19 and begin to work your way backward and ask yourself, where might this apply to me? What was going on in my soul the last time I found myself piling on when a classmate was being made fun of? Or when a referee made a bad call, or even a questionable call. Talk about impurity. What kinds of motives lie behind our cultural desire to be tolerant and diverse at all costs so that we can resist anything that limits, places limits on human behavior? Sensuality, my own feelings. Will I really be willing to let something other than my own desires be the criteria that drive my behavior? Ignorance. How much do I really know or how much do I even really want to know about what's going on in my heart and the work that God needs to do there? This progression of thought, I think, reveals how God must give us a new self in order to change any one of us. Because there's so much in our hearts that if we just start peeling back the layers, we look at it and say, wow, sin is not just that bad stuff that lands people in jail. Sin is the stuff that I wrestle with daily in the innermost recesses of my hearts. Sin is the thoughts that I'm thinking as I'm dealing with my kids when I come home from work. Sin is the the motives that's driving the way that I deal with a customer or a vendor during the day. Sin has to do with the attitude that I have towards a friend who stepped on my toes one too many times. And see, until we begin to be aware of a world bigger than ourselves, until we begin to understand the depth of the hold that our desires and dreams and sins have on us, We can't imagine how far away we are from God, nor how, as one author puts it, just being yourself means you're excluded from the life of God. 
mean, that's the definition of futility, verse 17. To be futile means to be empty. It means to be incapable of producing any results. And one of the things the Bible tells us is a life that goes no farther than the roof of our houses or maybe the airplanes in the sky, life that goes no higher than our own desires and efforts ends in futility. It has no result. David Paulinson, as a Christian counselor, talks about a man he counseled on his deathbed. A man who was trying to make sense of a disintegrating existence as everything that he had valued in life was being stripped from him. His accomplishments, his family, the people he had helped, his possessions, his experiences, all of his travel plans, all of these things, he said, turned to ashes as he began to talk. And finally said, what lasts? What lasts? What do I hold on to? What really matters? And what lasts? What carries us into a new year or any new year or into eternity, the Bible tells us, is a new self. A new self. In verse 20, the apostle suddenly changes course. He says, you, however, did not come to learn about Jesus in that way. The life that's in Jesus is something that's different than just behavior, than just what's going on in your soul. And now Paul is speaking to us, to people who have professed faith in Jesus, because he's no longer telling us about who we were or who we would be if Jesus were not part of our story, but who we are, who we can be in Him. He's telling us, in other words, about the life of a saint, not just a sufferer, not just a sinner, but the life of someone who, whom God has claimed. You did not come to know Jesus just as another philosophy or set of rules like the world would have it, he says. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And I love the way that Paul does this here because he kind of asks a question in this statement, doesn't he? He says something like this, well, you do know what I'm talking about, don't you? You can see this happening in your life, remember? I love how the Spirit just uses this to kind of pluck at you and me and say, yes, this is what we're about. This is what we're doing in this new year, in any new year, in our new life. The truth that is in Jesus tells us that God came to a world that is perishing to offer eternal life. The truth that is in Jesus says that repentance and trust and humility before Jesus are necessary for our salvation, recognizing who we are as sinners. The truth that is in Jesus says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. The truth that is in Jesus says that the Son of God left heaven in order to endure our sufferings, to share them with us, in order to relieve us from the pressure of those things. The gospel, in other words, proclaims a Savior who comes to sinful people, who comes to you and who comes to me, and who taps us on the shoulder and looks us in the eye and says, I want you to come with me to follow where I'm going. And with that call, something changes. And the thing that changes is not necessarily just our behavior, but what we see about our behavior. I start understanding the sin in my heart that leads me to join the crowd and heaping abuse on the referee who made that bad call at the basketball game last week. It's really something about pride or self-interest. I I understand the desire to be loved by others that makes the cultural hesitation to set limits on any behavior around me so attractive to me. And with the call of Christ, I see that there is another way to go, that the approval that matters is not just the approval of those around me, but the approval of God, a life that is pleasing to God. You know, the whole Bible is really framed in some ways by two questions, at least the whole moral part, the, the, the action part of the Christian life. In Genesis 3, there's a question that Satan asked to the the woman and the man. Did God really say? We start exploring and saying to ourselves, oh, maybe He didn't. Maybe there's some leeway here. In Ephesians, Paul asks the question earlier in the letter, find out what pleases the Lord. And a new self is a life that keeps asking, what can I do to bring honor and glory to Jesus in my life, in what I'm doing each day? 
with a call of Christ, I begin to understand how the cross offers an alternative to the world's dominating stories of suffering and, and sin and welcomes me into this new identity as someone who is called a saint. Now, when you, th- you and I think of saints, often we think about the stained glass windows in Catholic churches, right, With the, you know, the, or the icons that we see sometimes that have halos around them. We think about people who have lived this perfect life, who have it all together, who have it all figured out, and sort of live in this other world. But the truth about sainthood is that it's often people who don't have it all figured out. In fact, if you read the stories of some of these people who have been named as saints over the years, you find out that they don't have the perfect story either. But one of the best definitions I heard of a saint a couple of years ago is this. A saint is someone who gives their wounded all over to God. And I, I picture being on the operating table. You know, if you need a liver surgery or a heart surgery or something like that, you have to give your wounded all over to the physician, don't you? If I want to just do it halfway, that's not going to go very well in that surgery for me. And that's what we do with our relationship with the Lord. We give ourselves entirely over to Him to allow Him to heal and to shape and to change us. Put off the old self, Paul instructs in verse 22, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, the catechism talks about this, doesn't it? What is it? It's a delight to do good. It's a joy in God. It's a living for His glory. When we put on faith in Christ, we begin to see that we have a calling that makes our passions and desires small and insignificant in comparison because we're created to live for so much more, so much more than our desires, so much more than our accomplishments. We are created to live for the glory of God. And the question the Spirit puts in front of us this morning is, do we have any sense for that in this new year? Do we know what that means? Well, I can say for a minute what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean just being a goody two-shoes. Change in the Christian life goes deeper than just following the rules. Biblical change doesn't just come from willpower. It's a gift of grace that God looks at us and forgives our sins. But He doesn't just walk, out, walk away and says, okay, now try harder next time. No, in Christ, God makes us into new people, people who are in relationship with Him. If you've ever had a good friendship or a good family relationship, you know what I'm talking about here. If you have a good relationship with someone, you're not worried all the time about whether they're going to like you or not, right? You're not worried all the time that you're stepping on eggshells wondering whether or not this is the thing that's going to ruin the relationship forever. There's a blessing to be in a marriage or to be in a friendship where where you don't have to worry so much about offending the other person and driving them away. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't think about how they respond to things. You still think about what what will please my wife, what will please my husband, what will please my friend here. If my friend loves the Patriots, but I'm not really much of a football fan, but I'm I'm a good friend, I'm going to make an effort to find out what's going on in in the season so that we have something else in common to talk about. And that, in a way, is what it is to be in Christ, to be our new self. When God draws us close to Himself, we naturally begin to understand what it means to live with righteousness and holiness. Again, not that we ignore sin in our lives or pretend that it's not still something we struggle with, but there's a change in us that comes from the power of relationship with Christ that leaves us freed from the need to always justify or always defend or always pretend that we've never failed. It allows us to say, I'm sorry, and be transformed by this new relationship. And Paul signals that in our text this morning. And in fact, it's, it's kind of interesting. In verse 23, in between the instruction about taking off the old self and putting on the new self, Paul has this kind of funny command. He says, we should be made new. <clears throat> you learned to be made new. Now, that's a really odd thing, isn't it? How do you do something? How, do you, how are you commanded to do something that's, that's passive, that's an action that's done to you? It's a little like if I walked into my, 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 my uh, house this afternoon and, and I noticed that the toys were all over the t- floor and I told my kids that I wanted you to let your toys be picked up. 
They'd say, well, that's great. Go, to, go for it, Dad. But I think the Bible is telling us something really important here. The Bible is telling us that we can watch for the changes that we're trying to make in our lives. But more importantly, in the Christian life, what we're trying to do is to watch God at work. Spot God. Learn to spot God making us new. In other words, it's not enough just to have a New Year's resolution that we watch our language or we let go of a grudge over a friend or we work more diligently or we treat our spouse or our kids more kindly. Our minds change, too, as we come to know Christ. To be converted is to spot Jesus at work. It's the coming to life of the new self. It's like watching a flower bloom. To look for Jesus because we know that we need Him in order to help us find a new self. It means doing more than just trying to live differently. It means that our prayer is, Lord, help me to make this change and help me to spot you making it. Help me to lean on you, to pray to you as I look for this thing in my life to change. You know, I was thinking about the story of the driver. And I was thinking, what would it be to be a new self? And I thought about another employee that I used to work with. This guy, he was a believer. He thought that the best job in the world was driving a truck that dropped off pipe and pipe fittings at people's job sites. And it wasn't just that he did his job, he tried to make sure that everything was accurate and he drove the speed limit and, and didn't get tickets for, for, you know, going down the wrong roads or something like that, but it was the attitude that he had as he did this, that every moment that he had to interact with a customer, that he had to pick something up from another vendor was an opportunity to show something of the love of Christ. Now, was he perfect? By no means. He made mistakes. Sometimes he dropped things off at the wrong job site, but, he, but the customers loved him and the, his fellow employees loved him because he knew something of the grace of God that went over just beyond, you know, doing things, checking things right, trying to defend himself, trying to cut corners. But talked about the relationship, lived into the relationship. That's what it is to be made new, to be changed in the way that we do things, to be changed in the one for whom we are working and serving. Now, I don't know today what dreams and hopes you had for the new year. I don't know what resolutions you've had for change in your life. I don't know what resolutions you've already broken this year. Maybe that's good. I don't know where you've been frustrated about changes you've tried to make in the past and you decided that this year you weren't even going to bother making resolutions because it's simply too hard to change. But I do know this morning that God reminds us again that the changes that really matter are ones that are possible, not because we have the willpower, but because of what Christ has already done to redeem us, what He's already done in order to win for us, win us to be a people for Himself. What is broken can be redeemed. What is destroyed can be rebuilt. What is wrong can be restored. Fallen creation can be renewed, and this is possible because in Jesus and for His sake, God is giving us a whole new self for this new year and for new life in Him for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord our God, we come to you near the beginning of a new year, and, and whether we've intentionally made resolutions or whether we're just always kind of thinking about things that we might like to see different in our life, we know and we confess that we need change, deep change. And so we pray, God, that you would change our hearts and rewrite our stories. Help us to see what it means to live in a world where people are not just sufferers or sinners, but where your Spirit breaks into our hearts with the power of Christ that makes us saints. Become real to us so that we may proclaim your glory and goodness to a broken world in need of a Savior. We pray these things in the name of that Savior, Jesus. Amen.
It's now time for our ECHO students to be dismissed. So this is grades three through fifth. They're invited to come up and be dismissed. People of God, what is our prayer? Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. I'd like to invite our worship team back up, and we're going to continue with our worship. Jesus Christ. 
Again, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be with you this morning and pray God's blessing on you as individuals and on you as a church as you serve the Lord in this new year, 2023. Now go with God's blessing. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Go now in peace to love and serve Jesus Christ.